uh, from Ingham, Texas. I feel very privileged and very honoured to be the one that's in the chair today. Uh, I'd like to thank you, Chris, for agreeing to speak to us all today. So I shall now hand over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. My name is Chris R. I am a grateful recovered alcoholic. And uh, I, uh, I was, I'm hoping my computer holds out. If it gets goofy, let me know and I can switch to my iPad. Uh, hopefully it's working. I, uh, I live in Ingram, Texas, and uh, uh, some of them old Texas boys that slipped on here, they know where I live, but uh, uh, we're about like the dead center of Texas, kind of like 60 miles west of San Antonio kind of stuff, up in the hills, and a uh, fine place to, to be raised. I was way a long time and moved back in the early 90s and uh, have been here ever since. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll never leave the hill country. It's a, it's a good deal. I, I need to thank Sharon, I think, for asking me. I, don't, I think that's who it was. And uh, um, I'm, like I said, I'm blessed, um, honored to do it. Uh, she said something about talking about 45 minutes. And so if that's correct, I'll do that. And if it's not, well, I'll, uh, y'all let me know. Because <laughs> I'm not one that wants to go, go long. So y'all kind of, kind of keep me posted. I, uh, couple of things real quick. Anytime I talk about this, I, I want to talk about the steps a little bit. And I uh, mentioned again that, you know, I'm going to share like some of my experience, my thoughts on this. Uh, please, please, please understand. Uh, it's just my experience. Uh, guys, I've, I've, I took a whole bunch of time in Alcoholics Anonymous not getting sober. So, you know, I've got a bunch of experience doing it every Every way you could do it wrong, I did it. <laughs> and and uh, uh, I've also worked in the treatment business for about 28 years. And so I've watched thousands of people come and go and, and all of them walk into the same, lots of them walk into the same landmines that I walked into. Um, sometimes I think we, we complicate the bejesus out of this. It's, it's really not that difficult. Um, but when everybody has their own opinion about stuff, what happens is it, it can get kind of confusing, especially to the newcomer. So uh, my experience was when I finally uh, landed in a room full of a bunch of big book folks um, who were introducing themselves as recovered, I, I might add, thank you very much for doing that. And uh, when I landed in that room, folks, uh, they basically showed me real clearly that the solution to my problem was in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, this is the big book. If you got any little newcomers in there, this is this will confuse the data outside of you. This is a little big book. Okay, I don't know, but that's that's yeah. Don't get confused. It's the same thing as the big one you're carrying around, but uh, it's just easier for me to stick it in my briefcase. But anyway, I'm saying all that. If any of y'all are sitting next to your sponsor in there, and I say something that they disagree with, and they'll let you know they disagree with it. Trust me, they'll they'll be, yeah, they'll let you know. Uh, then they're right and I'm wrong. It's just it's perfect. I'm not up here to telling you how to do it. You got to do it my way, and that's not just going to share my experience, folks. And and uh, I am right, but that's beside the point. I just. <laughs> We'll just, we'll kind of, we'll kind of get to it. I wanted to read this one little paragraph. I always like to read it, guys, because it was so telling to me early on when I started seeing it. Bill Wilson in the big book, he, uh, he focuses on working with others more than anything else. 
he spends more time talking about step one than he does any of the other steps. But the, but working with others is mentioned more times in the 164 pages than anything else. I mean, this guy is was dead nuts on this idea of of uh, the necessity for newcomers and old timers. I got to tell you to get out there and start working with other alcoholics to 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 be of service. Bottom of page 14, and as Bill's uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Bill's story. It said, bottom paragraph, it said, my friend, he's talking about Abby Thatcher that came in a few few weeks over and, and came and uh, uh, basically showed him the solution to alcoholism. My friend emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he'd worked with me. Faith without, without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic, exclamation point. For if an alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he didn't work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. Without, uh, with us, it is just like that. I mean, this is right up at the very front. And Bill Wilson's making this very, very strong statement. Uh, you're not going to survive the certain trials and low spots ahead unless you're growing spiritually through work and self-sacrifice for others. But you'll hear a thousand other messages in Alcoholics Anonymous that will try to pull you away from that. And I'm not, I'm not here to argue or be divisive, but, but I am going to say that it, it's, it's out there. And so I, I'm going to continue to repeat over and over in this 45 minutes. If you'll go back and kind of follow the directions in the big book, I don't, you, you'd be, it would be hard for you to fail. My, my experience, I've sponsored a lot of guys and um, my experience is pretty much that. Uh, ha having said this, uh, the old timers used to say, you can go into any meeting and you can hear this quote. The old timers used to say, um, you got to give it away to, 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 to keep it, which is true. But the older, older timers, when I got sober in 1987, there were some really old guys in there at the time. And now, a lot of these guys used to come up and say, buddy, you got to give it away to get it. And it's just like Bill Wilson coming out of the Mayflower Hotel into that lobby and realizing he's on shaky ground. Uh, I'm going to get a chance. I got to talk at Founders Day this year, and I'm going to be in Akron, actually, <coughs> excuse me, this year. Myers and I got to talk last year in a little workshop on a Zoomy, but I'm actually going to get to be there. And, and uh, there's a little group that wants to host me, but we're going to get to go to the Mayflower Hotel again, and I'm going to slide over there in that lobby and get to see where Bill walk Wilson walked out of that uh, elevator shaft and, and um, buddy, the bar at one side and the, and the marquee at the other, knew he was on shaky ground. He said, I knew I needed another alcoholic as much as that alcoholic could need be. Guys, I got to go work with a newcomer if I'm going to stay sober. I was talking to a guy this morning at work, as a guy's in, in recovery, you know, and he said, you know, after a while, you really don't need a sponsor, you know, and, and this working with others helped me when I was early on, but, you know, I really don't have time now. You know, I don't know. This guy's heading for a disaster as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's going to be a train wreck because that's I watch a lot of people do it. You know, during this little Zoom time when a lot of people refused. Um, some of y'all have heard me talk about this before, but, you know, a lot of the guys when we got on Zoom stuff back back last March, there was you know a lot, a lot of people out there stamping their feet. I'm not ever going to get on Zoom. That's stupid. You know, we'll wait till the meetings open up. But, you know, there were places in the United States where we didn't get meetings for, for nine months. You know, they closed them all down in, in certain areas. And so the people that didn't get connected on Zooms, buddy, 
they drop like flies. I have never seen so many double digit sobriety folks relapse than I did this year. Mm. All, all for the same reason. So, uh, could y'all hear me? Okay, y'all keep me posted if it stops. I, I don't know what's up with it, my connection. It says it's good. I, uh, uh, I was lucky I ended up uh, in a room full of people in 1987 uh, that uh, kind of made it really clear that it was important for me to do this work. Uh, I went to my first meeting. I ended up going to work for my twin brother and uh, I was in the food business for a bunch of years, but, but you know how it goes. Uh, thank God for family. He hired me in, in his book library up in Louisville, Texas. And uh, I worked for, for him for ages and uh, thank God for that job. Uh, I don't know if I could have ever gotten sober any other way, but uh, I ended up, uh, tried to save a marriage and, and a career, uh, going to Alcoholics Anonymous in the early 80s. I was still cooking at the time and uh, I almost died, folks. I just, uh, when I looked her in the face and promised her I was gonna stop drinking, I meant it with every fiber in my body. And uh, I watched lots of people do the same thing, coming to treatment, crying, slinging snot, just, I gotta, I gotta get sober, you know? And they want it. They, they didn't understand, like I didn't understand that we didn't have the power to manage the decision to stay stopped. I, you know, I don't care where I speak, the majority of the room, I think, sometimes believes that if the alcoholic finally decides he really wants to stay sober, he can stay sober. But see, my experience is if the guy wants to stay sober, but nobody tells him how to get sober, he's not going to get sober. If this was just about wanting to stay sober or needing to stay sober, I'd have gotten sober in the early 80s. Because I, it was just no question. Week and a half later, I got drunk. I didn't get drunk, I, but I'd been drinking and uh, she was done. And I continued to go to Alcoholics Anonymous for the next you know, six, seven years. And it was the nicest people in the world up there. Uh, but we weren't carrying big books. Nobody, I mean, the only closest she got to the steps was a, was a you know, the steps on the wall and the traditions. And, I, you know, I don't know, guys, we talked about everything else under the sun. But what was forced down your throat, what was focused on primarily was meeting attendance. And I know some of y'all think I'm making fun of meeting attendance. I love meetings. I'm going to go to one tonight and uh, my home group. I don't think, um, I think sometimes we do the newcomer a disservice if that's all we do is focus on the, uh, the meetings. I went to meetings for seven years, guys. I'm a 90 meetings and 90 day kind of guy. And it's, it, you know, I, I'm proof positive that you can fall on your butt and and not stay sober, uh, just going to meetings. And uh, it drives me crazy. I know if I, if I get into any trouble out there in AA land, that's what it is, because I seem like I always end up bragging on it. But there's so many people that won't even try AA anymore because they're afraid. I hear them say it all the time. They're afraid because they can't commit to a meeting every day. So why even bother to start? But you see, there's no place in the big book that talks about that. None. I mean, I just think it's really important that we go to lots of meetings. But when we start putting a number to it, we set people up for failure. I don't know if y'all can see this. I was reading it the other day, and uh, it's, a, it's a pamphlet. You can't see it very well. called A Member's Eye View of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I don't, I'm sure you can get it in England. I'm sure General Service has it there. But it's a, uh, it was an old pamphlet. It was published like in 1970. Uh, 
based on a, a talk that a guy named Alan McGinnis did in 1968. And uh, I'm reading a bunch of stuff, listening to a bunch of his stuff online. It's This guy was spectacular. This is a, one of the best brochures out there. Y'all need to try to snag you a copy of it. And, uh, but there's one little, little paragraph in there along those topics, and then I want to talk about the steps a little bit. There's a widely held belief in AA that if a newcomer will simply continue to attend meetings, something will finally rub off on you. And the implication, of course, is that the something which rubs off will be this so-called miracle of AA. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that many people in AA accept that statement quite literally. I've observed them over the years. They faithfully attend meetings, faithfully waiting for something to rub off. The funny part about it is something is rubbing off. Death. They sit there week after month after year while mental, spiritual, and physical rigor mortis slowly sets in. Oh, that's so good. I've seen it a million times. I've experienced it. All those years of going to Alcoholics Anonymous, that's exactly what would happen. I would just go to meetings. Guys, I'm the real alcoholic. I don't have time to tell my story, but I'm the real, real deal. And I'm going to meetings and I'm sitting there until I just can't stand the, the, the pain of not drinking one day at a time. I have nothing to relieve that pain. Do I appreciate their fellowship? Absolutely. I still need it today. But that's not going to get you sober, folks. I think if Bill Wilson had wanted us to go to a meeting every day to get sober, he would have said so. He, he didn't. It, it's important that we go. I'm not going to beat it to death, but folks, please. These guys that I got uh, after a suicide attempt, stupid, and uh, I ended up aborting that and uh, went to a meeting I'd never been to before. An old boy that worked with us in the book bindery uh, had showed me that meeting one night. He came to try to help me and showed me this meeting and I was too chicken to go in, but I knew where it was and it was right between me and my apartment. And uh, I got to go home and detox and get some Kentucky fried chicken and lay low for a couple of days. And, and uh, But I went into this meeting and, and some folks stopped me from leaving and they went around the room and they shared some hope with me. Uh, I need to tell you guys, it was one of those, God was all over it because this particular meeting, the chairperson, he had about 10 years of sobriety at the time. And he said, Chris, he said, we're going to show Chris. He said, let's tell Chris how our lives had changed as a result of working the steps. Uh, guys, I'd been in lots of meetings in all those years. I'd never heard that as a topic. I'd heard lots of Let's tell Chris how we got here. And I don't want to talk about how we got here. I know how we got here. We drank too much. Can we move on? You know, I don't, there's a place to hear your story, guys. But it, it, just in and out, day in and day out, going to these meetings, listening to you talk about getting arrested and eating out of dumpsters is not going to stop me from drinking. Guys, all the years, if I don't do anything stupid, I mean, I just what, celebrated 33 years in November. You know, not once in all those years. I get thousands of emails, guys. I get thousands of emails and texts. And I get the, you know, I know a bunch of y'all in this room that I've come across over the years. And I just so honored to know you. Guys, I get lots of correspondence from alcoholics. And I got to tell you, not once have I ever heard them say, not once have I heard them say, Chris, I remember you talking about eating out of a dumpster in Houston, Texas. And, I, and I've stopped drinking. Not once. Not... <laughs> And we all laugh about it, and yet we continue to do it. Our meetings are crazy sometimes we just, when we encourage it. Guys, I need to tell somebody my life story. That's for a fact. In a 12-step call, I'm going to need that. Uh, Friday night from the podium, I'm going to need that story. But sitting in a meeting, guys, I need to be slinging some solution and uh, catch some flack out there from the emails they get on there. You think all meetings should be a pep rally? Yes, I do.
Big Book says we set aside one night a week, folks, to share, for the newcomer to come bring their problems. I think that's a brilliant idea. <clears throat> let's let's do three meetings in, a week, on, and the newcomer can come bring their problems. And then let's have a few other meetings a week where we can just go sling, you know, some hope for that newcomer and tell them how life has changed and how good things can be. Because I got to tell you, there's a lot. You're not going to scare an alcoholic into recovery. These old guys got me after the meeting, and uh, they. Uh, I picked up a chip that night, guys. I didn't know it was going to be my last little desire chip. And they, I, 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 uh, they, uh, I mean, they spent an hour telling me how their lives had gotten cool because they stopped drinking. And I mean, I, it was a pretty cool meeting. I'll never forget it. I hear people all the time talk about, I don't remember my last meeting. I remember that meeting like it was yesterday because I was blown away because it's the first time I'd ever been in a meeting. Everybody carrying big books, laughing and having a good time. And, you know, I'd never been in a meeting like that. And, um, I'll say it and remind you guys, if you got any newcomers on here, if y'all get on a Zoom or y'all walk into an in-person meeting and you don't hear a bunch of laughter in there, leave. Run, Forrest, run. Just don't stay. <laughs> There's something wrong, guys. Because I got to tell you, this being sober is the, is the absolute coolest. And uh, they stopped me in the way out. I didn't have a big book, but they opened theirs and says, Chris, sit for a few minutes. and Let's see if we can help you figure out why you can't get sober. And uh, I was a little indignant, I need to tell you, because here was these two old cowboys, they're in Louisville groups, where it was in Louisville, Texas. These old cowboys were going to help me figure out why I couldn't stay sober. I'd been in IOP, guys. I'd been, I, you know, I was seeing a, a, one of the big, most expensive name psychiatrists in North Texas. I'm on seven prescription medications a day, all doctor prescribed. I mean, I got a lot of professionals around trying to help this skinny little one-eyed guy get sober, you know? And now these two old busted up drunks, with big books with duct tape around the back, you know, they're, now they're going to show me how to get. So I grudgingly sat there for a few minutes and I got to tell you guys, it took those guys about 25, 30 minutes to change my life. They, for the first time, they opened the big book up to me. We didn't start at the title page and start reading guys. They knew I was detoxing. They knew I needed to get home. What they wanted to do is they won't show me. And they showed me in the doctor's opinion where it talked about the physical craving and the mental obsession up and up and from 23 to 43. And they, I mean, they helped me see my truth, folks. Al alcoholism is this, is this, this phenomenon of craving that takes place coupled with this mental obsession, this form of insanity that makes it virtually impossible for me to stay away from it. And, um, and I continue to go back to the stuff, even though I know it's hurting me, I can't not go back to it. And uh, that's why we die, folks. And uh, they, I didn't understand that. For the first time, leaving that night, driving back up to my little apartment, I, I knew I had tears in my eyes. I remember, God, I was crying. I mean, because I, I knew for the first time what was really wrong with me. I'd called myself an alcoholic for seven years, folks. Hell, Myers had been calling me that since high school. You know, it's just like everybody knew that I was an alcoholic. That was no problem. But I didn't believe it because my story is not as bad as your story. Again, my problem with just talking about your story in a meeting, we have a tendency to push people away that way. The minute I hear something I can't identify with, I check out. So... We've got to be careful. The thing that ties us together, and even hundreds sitting in this room, look around this room and we've got a whole bunch of different folks in here. There's only one thing that ties us together, and that's the symptoms of alcoholism. We're all different people, folks, different walks of life. You know, I'm handsome, good looking. Myers has got that big old nasty beard, ugly, ugly. Oh my God. It's just, 
But the thing that ties us together, Myers and I, identical twins, guys, same little eggy, same sperm maker. We're, we're, we're alcoholic. We, we caught the bullet. I've got two sisters that did another talk, but I'm just saying, guys, the only thing that ties us together is those symptoms. And if you start talking about the symptoms, then we could help a lot more people get well instead of talking about identifying. I just, oh my God, just let's look, let's talk about what Bill Wilson's trying to do in the first 60 pages. I did a while back, I because because like people kept asking, I came up with a little paper where I can I basically just put in verbatim um, the way that I take a little newcomer through the, that first step. If any of you want it, I'll make sure that my little, my little email gets on that little uh, email, uh, excuse me, that little chat. And I'll send it to you in a heartbeat. And it says it's not anything fancy, guys. Literally, it's one little page. It'll just show you the pages to go to. So you can sit down and walk somebody through the first step. I got, it drives me crazy when I go to meetings and I see somebody in the corner over there suffering and he's just miserable. And I said, buddy, what's going on? I said, oh, I'm working on my first, my first step. I said, buddy, you've been in here for months. What are you, do, what are you doing? Well, my sponsor has me right. <laughs> what writing what there's nothing to be written bill wilson on top of page 44 in, in uh, chapter of the agnostics he sums up the first step he's asking you two questions when you drink can you control how much you put in your system and when you want to stop can you stop can you stay stopped two questions and it's just real simple. When we understand the symptoms, we can identify with that. Anyway, thank God for those guys, folks, because if he just set me on my butt and said, we're going to be working on the first step for a few months, I'd have died. I'd have left, just like I'd been doing the last seven years. These old guys got around me and they said, Chris, we're, we're going to help you get, pick a sponsor. We're going to help you with this. And we're going to show you how to get involved in this group. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you, you could have this spiritual experience like us. We're going to work the steps quick. And uh, you, you're, you're going to get well. And I just, I, guys, I said, I think I'm, I'm a little far gone, but, but I'll give it a shot. And the next morning we went back up at the net meeting. And after the meeting was over, we went in the back and they explained the third step. And uh, we got on our knees and did a little third step prayer. And went to lunch and came back and they had a little notebook. And they said, Chris, why don't you get started writing a list of the people you're pissed at? A little resentment inventory they started me working on. I get people all the time, you know, that's too fast. I, guys, I'm sorry. If you'll read the history and I can send you the sites. If you read the history stuff, guys, nobody in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous took longer than a few, few days, maybe a week or two to work the steps. Nobody. Somewhere along the line, some brilliant idiot. I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. Some complete and total idiot decided that it was perfectly okay to tell the newcomer that they could take a year to work the steps. We're going to go slow. This is not a race. Guys, I know I'm talking to a room full of alcoholics. This is a race. When the obsession to use comes back, you're going to drink. No, you're not going to call your sponsor. Maybe sometimes you will. Usually you don't. Usually you go, you go drink. I got a lady I work with all the time. She said, don't drink. Just remember, don't drink no matter what. <laughs> got buddies. I drink no matter what. I hear those old guys, even if your butt falls off, don't, guys, if my butt even looks like it's falling off, I'm going to drink. If that obsession stays with me, I'm going to get loaded. So 
the solution is to get rid of the obsession. And the only way, way to do that that we know of is the spiritual experience. And uh, these guys were the best guys. I don't have time to get in there and talk a bunch about that. Uh, but um, it was pretty cool to watch and see what they were doing with me. Somebody asked me the other day after one of these, uh, we stayed off after them. They asked the question, so what, was the, what was the hardest part of you working the steps? What was the hardest part of you getting well? And, and I think some of you might be able to identify with this. I, my heart, the hardest part for me was not any of the steps. They're outlined pretty well. They're uncomfortable in places, making some amends, you know what I'm saying? Writing some stuff down in the course. But, but there was nothing hard about it. It was pretty simple. When you take it from the book and don't add a bunch of stuff to it, like so many people want to do, um, it's, it's, it, was, it was pretty simple. Uh, like I said, you know, you can look at Wally, Wally P back to basics and talk to some of these folks out there that are doing some, I mean, they're, they're, you know, a few one hour sessions and you're through the work. It may take you a while to get them amends done, but you're, you know, we'll talk about it in a second. But I just, just the hardest thing for me was letting y'all into my life. The hardest part for me was I'd walk into an AA group and I got my seat picked already. It's next to the wall by the door. And that's, that's where I'm going to sit. And uh, they got tables in the middle where everybody, all the home group members are sitting, but I'm going to sit back over here against the wall. I still sit back against the wall because it's easier when I can't see people coming. So I got to sit someplace where somebody's not going to come up on my blind side to scare me to death. But I, you know, but it was tough for me to get off the wall and go sit at that table. I'll never forget one time a guy in an AA meeting, uh, one of my first AA meetings, I guess I'd have been in there a few weeks. And uh, this guy uh, said, Chris, why don't you come up here and sit with us at the table? And I ate his butt. I mean, I really got snappy with him. And it was like obvious to him that, I, that he'd hit a nerve with me. You know, and he backed up. And he says, okay, I'm sorry. You can sit wherever you want to sit. Of course, I went up afterwards. I stood on it all meeting and went up and apologized to him afterwards. He embarrassed me because the truth of the matter was he, 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 he busted me. I'm hiding out back here. Then I don't have to share. I don't have to talk. Um, I don't have to be a part of y'all's group. And they drug me up to that middle table. And, uh, and that's where they made me sit early on. That's where they, you know, come on, sit with us. And, and uh, that was the hardest piece for me, guys. I needed to get involved. I've been in AA six or seven years, guys. I had never chaired a single meeting, never made a pot of coffee, never took a bag of trash out, never picked up a cigarette, but never emptied an ash, never did jack, but come in, sit with my arms folded, wait to, waiting to be offended so I could leave and maybe try to get a date unsuccessfully. What? That's all I did. I didn't own a big book, never worked the steps. I'm going to take responsibility for all of that, guys. But guys, these people understood that I didn't understand what I was doing. Just because you've been around a while, guys, if you're in the wrong group, you may not know what, what you know, when did, it, when did it become okay for us not to tell the newcomer how to get well? These guys grabbed me around and got me involved in service work. I mean, from day one. There wasn't a bit of this stuff, guys, about you're not old enough to, excuse me, sober long enough to do this. What? He said, Chris, come up here and, and let's show you how to chair a meeting. I said, no, I'm not interested. I'm the new guy. Remember, I'm just a couple of weeks over here. I said, I know, but you're going to need to do this one time. Come up here and help, help us. It wasn't like, would you like to chair a meeting? They said, get, come up here. Get your little skinny butt up front. Let's go. You know, and they opened the book and showed me how to chair a meeting. Guys, I got to tell you, I owe those folks, men and women in that group that took me on to race. I owe them so much. 
other people, I know there was as much love in those other meetings I'd been to that you, I mean, it just took a ton, guys. But just sitting and letting somebody sit in a meeting as a newcomer and not getting them involved is, is, is what's costing us our membership in Alcoholics Anonymous. So few people stay because they don't ever feel apart and they're not going to feel apart until they get involved. And I'm just blessed that those old, those old geezers got hold of me and, and started uh, holding me accountable and, and, and allowed me to get involved. I'd already done that little first step, guys. And like I said, again, the next morning we got down and we started talking about God and, and it wasn't this big, long deal. It says, Chris, do you believe there's something bigger than you out there? And I said, yes, I do. Okay. And they showed me the third step prayer and they explained it. The key piece in the third step prayer is, is, is take away my difficulty so victory can bear witness to those I might help. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. The third step obligates me to go help a newcomer. That's, what, that's the only reason we're here for, folks. This is not some kind of chicken shit self-help program. This is, this, is, this is what we're supposed to be doing, helping that little newcomer. And sometimes it's not a newcomer, folks. Sometimes it's an old geezer that needs some help. I don't know who God's going to drop in my lap. What I have to do is stay spiritually awake to see them when they get dropped. And uh, you can always tell. Myers talks great about it. Walk in and look at that little guy sitting by himself, looking down at the floor. That's a guy right there that needs some help. Might as well put a big old sign on. I'm scared. I'm fixing to leave. Yeah, and I don't care if you've got three days sober. Go get him. Go help him. It's, it's just that simple. Show him where the coffee is. God dang it. I don't know. Help him get a big book. D do something. I sat down with those guys after that lunch and, and they, they showed me how to do that little four step. Guys, the same way I do it with my guys, I got a little date planner. I use a little paper date planner, like old school. And I opened that little baby up and uh, they told me, they showed me that, that uh, they were going to give me a few weeks to do this. Uh, two weeks in, I've got a completed four step ready to do a fifth step. My sponsor was out of town. He wasn't ready to do it yet. But I mean, I got it right after he got back. I mean, it was that quick. My guys, when we do a third step prayer, I give them one week. Okay, well, look at the date. Okay, well, this is a, this is a you know, Wednesday afternoon. All right, well, good. next Wednesday, we'll do your fifth step. Literally, guys. And I know that freaks some of y'all out. You know, well, my sponsor, yeah, I'm, this, we, there's two places in the steps where we lose people between the third and fourth step. While they're working on their fourth step, we lose a lot of them. And between uh, the uh, seventh step prayer and uh, making the amends on the eighth step, we lose a bunch of them because we allow them to stall out. And uh, if you can get, get through this work quick, it's like taking a butt whipping. If you can get, I, I can take a butt whipping, but I don't want you to drag it out for six months. <laughs> Let's get it over with. And that's exactly like what this is about. You know, there's, there is a race. There's a sense of urgency to get connected spiritually. And uh, it's not the guy that believes in God the most that's going to get connected. It's the guy that gets off his butt and finishes this work. By doing the work, guys, the steps don't get me sober, folks. The steps get me connected to that spirit. It allows me to have that spiritual experience. If I've got a, if I've got a belief in God, and I've always had a belief in God, but I got disconnected from that power. The steps allow me to get back connected to that power. It's still at the end of the day, folks. It's the spiritual experience that allows me to recover, that removes that obsession to drink. And Bill Wilson sure wrote a lot about it, folks. So I got a completed four-step, and I sit down with a little guy, and, and 
I got to tell you real quick in that fourth step, just to highlight, um, I don't, I don't want to get long winded with it, but um, biggest mistake I think we make, we went through a period of time in Alcoholics Anonymous where, where everybody thought we were supposed to have at least like, I heard a guy in AA one time says, you got to have at least 200 names on your inventory to be thorough. And it's like, what the, what, what, what you hated every person you ever met? Who are you, Damien? I just like, you know, exorcist. I, I don't understand. It's nuts, guys. Some of us are going to have more than others. People, institutions, and principles. We put them down, guys. I would rather see my little guy I'm working with, my little my little protege. I'd rather see him put the top 10 resentments he's got down and let's do the work on it than, than to sit there and wait, work for months just putting a name down. I'm putting names on the inventory that I haven't even thought of in 30 years. That's ridiculous. You don't resent that person. You're just looking for somebody's name to put down. You've got enough current stuff right here. You're grinding your teeth trying to sleep tonight. You've got plenty, you've got plenty of fodder for this four step. You don't need to think about it. I guarantee you. You sit there for a minute and say, God, show me the people I'm mad at. I guarantee you the names will start coming out. Yeah. Also, the most controversial thing I ever say in a workshop when we do it, put your name on that inventory. The big book, top of page 66, tells you to. It tells you to put your name on that inventory. Just read it. I won't take time to do it, but I'm just telling you. Because I got to tell you, folks, a lot of y'all resent a lot of people. But if I treated you the way you treat yourself, they would arrest my skinny little butt. I guarantee you. Some of you, you're your own worst enemy. You need to put your name on that little inventory. And uh, any questions about that, email me. We can talk about it. But guys, it set me free because there was a lot of people uh, that showed up on that little inventory around me that uh, uh, I ended up having to make amends to. And it was pretty cool. It was, I got a lot, of, a lot of information from that, from, from doing that. Uh, I did a little, little, little four column uh, uh, resentment inventory. Uh, real simple. I get the freedom looking at my fourth column where I look at my mistakes, not my part, my mistakes in the, in the relationship, whatever it was. And um, guys, I've said it from a gabillion podiums, victimized people get sober every day. Victims don't. Uh, man, I tell you, a lot of us in this room have been hurt, hurt bad. Uh, I would never make light of any of that. Uh, but to continue to hang on it for the rest, you, you will end up drinking over it. So one of the things you get to do is you get some freedom around it by, by looking at it. If you can see you made one little PF mistake, doesn't mean you caused it, doesn't mean you, you it's, this is not about weighing it out, justice. This is, this is about just looking at your truth. Um, you can get free of the resentment. And uh, it's amazing the stuff that I got past. I didn't think I'd ever get past. Once I put it on paper, a lot of stuff changed. It's just, it's magical, truly. And uh, I love four-step stuff. I do one a year, come hell or high water. I, I sit down and do one a year. Stuff that just keeps, doesn't, it still continues to come up on my nightlies and stuff. I'll, I'll put it on a little four-step. Anyway, I sat down with a guy and I do a little fifth step. Guys, it doesn't take 10, I mean, usually with a guy brand new, it takes a couple of hours. This nonsense of taking 10 hours on a fifth step is absolutely ridiculous. I got to laugh about it. On page 62, it says, selfish and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Yeah. And now I'm going to let you talk for 10 hours. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> this is an inventory. We're trying to get specific on this information. And uh, I'll jot it down. 
little two-column fear inventory. What's the fear? Why do I think I got it? Big book on page 67 tells you because self-reliance failed us. Oh my gosh. And I get to do a little sex inventory. I'm answering nine questions around the relationships that I've been in. Simple. Guys, if you're doing a sex inventory the way it's supposed to be done, you can sit down and do a fist step with, a, with somebody of the opposite sex and never blush. This is not talking about sex. This is talking about my behavior towards that opposite sex. My, how did I treat those people? And uh, it's uncomfortable to look at. I got to tell you that for sure. Uh, it'll, it'll change you. I got to tell you, good, good sex inventory. And uh, we knock it out. While this little guy's doing a little image, while he's, he's talking, I'm writing down on my little list. I've got a little six step list on one side. I always carry, I always carry these little, these little notebooks and I got, I got it divided in half and I got a little six step on one side and eight step on the other. If I see any character defects of jealousy or greed or slothfulness, yeah, procrastination, well, that's me, judgmentalness. Guys, in the, in the fourth column where it talks about selfishness, guys, that's judgmentalness. I'm thinking I know exactly how you should behave. I'm selfish to the core and I, I need to get out of the judging business. And uh, I have pretty much, I still have a few bad days, but I'm gonna put that stuff down on the six step list on my MNs, um, excuse me, on the, on the character defects because an hour after we finish this, this, this little fifth step, I'm gonna need those, that list. And uh, this is not supposed to be done next week or next month. The book says an hour after I do this. I take the book down, I go over the first proposal, see if I've not been honest about anything, if I'm clear on what we're trying to do. And then I do a seven-step prayer. It's real simple. Asking God to remove the character defects that stand in the way of my usefulness to him and others. I got to tell you guys, one of, the most, one of the most biggest character defects I had was my shyness. This is not, I'm kind of shy. This is, I am painfully shy. Any of you guys that have ever seen me in a social situation, I am still to this day. I do okay when I get up here and start talking to visit. But as far as just, again, you know, I mentioned I didn't want to sit at the big table because I'm shy. I don't want to go to lunch with you afterwards because I'm too shy. And uh, God was uh, just allowed that to be moderated a bit and allowed me to, to get to a different place around that. Can't help anybody if you can't talk to them, folks. So character defects are real, folks. And, that, and that's what... God's there for is to remove them, to help you with them. Seven-step prayer was pretty cool. Eight-step list. I got it when I did my fifth step, folks. There are people on my resentment inventory that I do not owe amends to. I heard somebody the other day, if your name's on that resentment inventory, you owe amends. That's not true, folks. It's just not. There were people that I absolutely didn't resent at all, but I owed amends to still. And I go back to the next day or, and, I, and I go back to the list and any names off that inventory that, that, that I owe amends to. And then I add the ones that I weren't resentful. And then my sponsor helped me organize those, those amends, the people that I'm going to have to go clean up. I, I, I Simple. I had to write some letters to some folks. We could talk an hour about it. I'm not going to. Uh, uh, sometimes it was face-to-face, -face, preferably, that we could do. Um, the key points is, guys, what we want to do is we want to make uh, – uh, we don't want to make their load heavier by making our load lighter, which means we've got to pay attention to what we're doing when we're making amends. If I'm going to go over here to somebody and tell them a bunch of stuff um, that they really didn't need to know to begin with, um, it's uh, or hurt them in, in, in the process, uh, shame on me. Some of this stuff, you know, there's more than one way to make an amends, folks. I got to tell you, sometimes I can make amends. It's about putting money back out there in the universe and uh, 
I harmed a lot of waitresses when I was in the food business, guys. I was that temperamental, mean chef in the back that, that drink too much and and then treat you like crap. And uh, and uh, there's no way I could make amends to all those waitresses. But I got to tell you, to this day, still to this day, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I go to a, a restaurant and eat, if I don't have enough to pay a big old tip, I'm not going to eat. And I need to tell you guys, I got plenty of money. I got always enough money to make a big old tip. And uh, First time Patty and I got together, she looked over and she said, Chris, the service was good, but it wasn't that good. And then I explained to her, this is part of my amends process that will go on the rest of my life. I will over tip every waitress I get for the damage that I did to them all those years. It's just, it's just what I do. And trust me, I believe that, I believe that uh, uh, that gets the job done. And if I ever come across any of those people personally, I will gladly make personal amends. So it works. Uh, it took me years to make some of those men's guys, but I got busy on them that same week making amends, uh, calling those credit card companies. And, and uh, uh, nothing I'd rather do than talk about making amends. So guys, if any of y'all ever struggle with it, email me and I'll, I'll help you with it. 10 step stuff, guys, is real simple. I get quiet every night and I sit there for a minute and I look around and I see, is there anything going on in my life that I need to address? Simple. There's great little forms. There's little checklists out there you can use. I don't care. It's a, it's, it's, it's just a, a, a nightly thing. Daily, daily throughout the day, I go about my business. And if I step on somebody, it says, buddy, that's what I'm going to do right then and there. Uh, I have thousands of examples of stepping on somebody and then getting 10 feet away and turning around on my heels and walking right back up and cleaning my mess up. That's what happens when you get sober, guys. You get to feel everything better. Happiness and joy and, and guilt. When you do something stupid, you get to go clean it up. Thank God. Love it, step stuff. Guys, it's just, Bill Wilson wrote a lot about it. He was huge on this stuff about getting quiet at night and, uh, and looking at your day in the past and seeing where you were wrong and, and uh, um, you know, the things you want to do better tomorrow. Uh, the, the, today, people teach meditation. It's all pretty simple. It's all about, the, you know, going to an astral plane and, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I think all that's great and good, but in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous back in 1938, when we got together in 1939, this, this, this meditation was thoughtful contemplation. If you look, look up in the dictionary, we're not supposed to disappear guys. We're supposed to get quiet with God and, and listen for the guidance. And uh, that's what we need to do. And um, it's beautiful. I guarantee you guys, if there's one thing that Alcoholics Anonymous people don't do is meditate. They'll, they'll get, uh, they'll do little nightlies. They'll check off the little checklist. But actually getting quiet, shutting up for a minute, letting their head stop rattling enough to start getting guidance from God, it's just it's a, it's an amazing thing. Let me tell you something, folks. That power that you may or may not believe in will, will direct you if you'll be quiet. It's in the stillness that you'll know God. I wish I'd said that. It was, I mean, the truth. I'm doing the, ten, the disciplines of 1011, and these old guys explained to me, just like I was talking about earlier, how important it was to go work with others. Guys, there's just no place in the book does it say go slow. Big book says, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. I don't know why that always translates to go slow. It doesn't. It was never intended. Bill Wilson was working quick. Abby, a few weeks over, found Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson, six months over, he was been working with drunks the whole time. Then he finally runs into Dr. Bob in Akron. 
in six months. They find 16 days later, they go get Bill D. And it, it's just history. That's, that's how we're sober today is because somebody did a 12-step call. Somebody went out of their way. The guy that brought AA to Texas had never been to a single meeting. Had to, had to go to Houston. They gave him a big book. He read it. Went to Houston, started a meeting, and started helping people get sober. Stayed sober the rest of his life. I want to read you one little thing, and then I'm going to let you go. On bottom of page 129 in the book, it says, even if he displays a certain amount of neglect and irresponsibility towards the family, it is well to let him go as far as he likes in helping other alcoholics. During those first days of convalescence, this will do more to ensure his sobriety than anything else. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know the person sitting in an AA meeting telling you that you're not sober long enough to help a newcomer. I know they mean well. They're killing you. It doesn't mean that you have to sit down and organize a big book study. It just means go over and hug the guy. Go over and sh sh help him a little bit. Show him some, some interest. Thank God for the people that did it for me, folks. Like I said, you go help somebody, you're going to get helped. And it's, I got to tell you, it was life-changing for me. And uh, there came a time when my twin brother was in the weeds a few months later. Let me make sure that the room understands. A few months after I got sober, he got sober. You'll follow after I got sober. That means I have more sobriety than he does. Just want to make sure y'all all understand that. <laughs> but what did he do? He asked me, maybe I could take him to one of them A&A meetings. And I took him to my home group. It was a couple months over. I took him to home group, introduced him to the same guys that helped me. And he got involved in that group and never looked back. Y'all follow? He's been doing work with others since day one. It's just... That's how it works, folks. I love every one of you. And I sure appreciate y'all letting me come over and share a little bit. And uh, I will put my little email in there. And if any of y'all got any questions or if I could help you ever with anything, well, well uh, let me know. I appreciate it. Thank y'all so much.